Good morning once again. You may have noticed uh, it's a bit dark up here. For some reason, a fuse has blown, and so if you can't see me, I'm sorry, but hopefully you'll still be able to hear the Word of God this morning, and I can see well enough, thanks to that little ray of sunshine, to read the text. So we're in Matthew, we're, not in Matthew, we are in Psalm chapter 12, got Matthew on the brain apparently. We are in Psalm chapter 12 this morning. For the choir director, upon an eight-string lyre, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, that's singular, and then listen to this, the faithful, that's plural, disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us. Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord, I will set him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him. From this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Would you pray with me? Father, help us through the presence of your Holy Spirit to comprehend what you've said to us in Psalm 12 this day, and then God to go and live it out with great confidence in Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I I'm sure that you know the Virginia Tech Hokies play West Virginia tonight at 7.30, and so I've decided to be neutral about my allegiances today. <clears throat> Didn't want to offend anybody or hurt any feelings, so I decided to wear a coat and tie this morning. Um, you know, in the Bible, there's a right and a wrong. There's a winner and there's a loser. And the world is full of trash talk. Because they think they're winning. But the game's not over yet. Well, actually, it is over. They just don't realize it. They, and they haven't joined the winning side. And this is what we see going on in Psalm 12, a, a bunch of trash talking. The world is trash talking the faithful. They're even convincing the faithful to leave the godly one. And they're using lies and deception to unhinge him. And then we are assured in verse 5 and 6 that there is a godly man who will be placed in safety. Think of Jesus. And though his faithful ones flee him for a season, they will be rescued by him. And we are assured of this because the words of the Lord are pure words. You see, in Psalm 11, the king is facing enemies by taking refuge in the Lord and staying focused on the mission rather than fleeing, because Jesus persisted in the face of death by taking refuge in the Lord, we too can take refuge in Christ and be saved through His faithfulness. We have that assurance and that confidence, and yet we still live in a world, verse 8, where the wicked are walking about on every side, where their vile ways are exalted. Just turn on the news for five minutes and vileness is paraded about. It is exalted. What do we do now? I'm alive in Christ. I know that I'm going to be delivered. I have that assurance. But everything that I'm hearing says just the opposite. There's only so much trash talk that I can take 
from a blue and gold mountaineer. (laughs) The world wants us to give up on a holy pursuit of Christ. The world wants to tell us we may lose our jobs or be sued for faithfulness to Jesus, and we might. They want to say that Jesus is a fraud. They tell chaplains in the United States military that they cannot pray in Jesus' name. They want to tell you that you're a bigot for believing God designed men to be men and women to be women and marriage to be a lifelong union between one man and one woman for life as a living display of Christ's faithfulness to His bride. They want to tell you that you can have freedom of religion as long as you don't say anything about your religion. They want to tell you that you can be a Christian as long as you throw away Christ according to the Scriptures. If your Jesus doesn't have any standards, if He's not the Jesus in the Bible, He's an acceptable Jesus. But if your Jesus is the Jesus who's reigning and ruling and ascended at the right hand of the Father, they don't have room for that Jesus. Do you see that? You see that, don't you? Do you see that? The world is actively at work with their words trying to separate you from the King who saves you. And they are doing it with lies and flattery and double talk and arrogance. They are enemies who want to cause Christ, the godly man, to cease. And all who are faithful to Him to disappear. Verse 1. So what do we do when the enemy is trash talking? What do we do when the enemy attacks the king and his people? We must recognize God's enemies want to avoid and undermine the authority of Christ with their words. And we must rely on the sure words of God's salvation through Jesus. First, we must recognize God's enemies that they want to avoid and they want to undermine the authority of Christ with their words. You are living in a world that wants to undermine your refuge. That wants you to doubt your refuge. As we have been proceeding through the Psalms, it's it's helpful to keep in mind Psalm 1 and 2, which are really an introduction to the whole book. In Psalm 1, there is one righteous man who is the source of blessing. In Psalm 2, this blessed man is the anointed king and the son of the Lord. Those who take refuge in this one, chapter 2, verse 12, are given the opportunity to share in his righteousness. They then become the godly or the faithful ones, the people who share in God's covenant promise of blessing through God's Son. And in verse 1, the godly man is ceased, and the faithful, people who have found life in the godly man, have disappeared from among the sons of men. This reminds us of Jesus on His way to the cross, where He will, it seems, cease. And you remember the accusations of the Pharisees and of the council and of the Sanhedrin and their lies and they're making up stuff. They're grasping at straws. And when they arrest Jesus, it tells us in Matthew, all the disciples left Him and fled. The godly man ceases. The faithful have disappeared. They've been severed from their Savior by the words of the world. So it seems, like Jesus, David too is out of earthly Help. His advisors have abandoned him because he stayed in the fight in chapter 11. And the only way he can escape is if God would help him. The word help in verse 1 means to move someone from distress to safety. Think of Houston, people crying out for help. If someone doesn't come from the outside and get them out of the rising waters, then they will perish. It is to move from a place where death is imminent to a place where salvation and life are possible. The person 
who really wants to follow the Lord will often feel alone in a world that has crucified her king and assaulted the king's people. You ever feel like an island at work? You ever feel like you're alone in this world representing Christ? The only hope is that God will help you. He will hear your cry. And so David does just that. He calls on God. Kidner says this, and I love this, where another man in a minority of one might have rethought his position. David signals for help. He is not retreating. The world wants to talk you into retreat, but we need to recognize the words of the world for what they are. They are an attempt to tell a different story than the old, old story. It's a story where the sinful sons of men are accountable to no one. They want to speak their own story by speaking God and His King right out of it. The world values independence from anyone and anybody, including God Himself. So look at what they say in verse 4. Our lips are our own. Literally, our lips are with us. Who is Lord over us? We can, we can speak the reality that we want to live. We can create our own story with our lips. Nobody can tell us what to do. The idea, however, that they can escape their responsibility to the Lord is no less a delusion than Satan's first half-truth spoken to Eve. Has God really said? As Kidner writes, it's not for nothing that the apocalyptic beast is the false prophet. The world in which we live is following the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2, 2, and they are under the delusion of the father of lies, John 8.44. Those who want to be faithful to Christ the King are surrounded by a world system that wants to say Christ is dead and His people are foolishly wasting their time with fables. Peer pressure for your grandchildren or great-grandchildren or children is just a form of this. It's what peer pressure is. It's lies. It's foolishness. It's deceit. It's undermining our children as they want to live for Christ. The world is spinning for them a different story with their lips, telling them of a different outcome, that they can escape their accountability to God who requires righteousness. They speak falsehood, verse 2. The word falsehood literally means emptiness. Which includes speech that is without truth and speech that might have a ring of truth to it, but which is insincerely spoken. And notice, they do this to one another. The world even lies to one another as they try to create their own reality apart from God. The enemies of the king and his people spend their lives focused on helping others miss the real point of their lives. Did you know this can even happen in church? As wolves come up within the church or come to the church from without, Paul warns us about this transpiring in the church. People who come into the church and their agenda is always about something other than Jesus, that's a warning sign. In Titus 1.10, he calls out empty talkers and deceivers. And he tells Titus to set apart men who pay attention to those. In Romans 16, 17, and 18, he says, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Having talked with pastors through the years, there's one thing that I have learned. One of a pastor's greatest frustrations is hearing these words. People are saying, unnamed people are saying, well, I can't tell you who, And if that's followed by anything other than Jesus is awesome and I want to give Him more of who I am and see our church more on fire for Him, the pastor is going to shut down. It's the world and the enemies of the King, not the children of God who are consumed by empty talk. Until Christ returns, there will be enemies of the Gospel using empty talk to prop themselves up and downplay the Savior. But our refrain is this, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. May that be the refrain that is on our lips. Whatever it takes from me for Jesus and the Gospel to advance in the world, those are the words that I want to be consumed by and riveted to. The enemy uses not just empty talk, but flattering or smooth talk. The word flattering in verse 2 is literally the word smooth. He's got smooth lips, and he speaks with a double heart. In the Hebrew, he says, with a heart and a heart. Didn't have the word double, so he just puts with a heart and a heart. The double talking comes from a divided mind. And a double-minded man is, is unstable in all his ways, James tells us. They are like the chief priests and the whole council who kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus on His way to the cross so that they might put Him to death. The enemies of God. Have you noticed this? The enemies of God never let the facts get in their way. They've got an agenda. They want to remove Jesus from the public square. They want to remove Jesus from the church. They want to remove Jesus from your life. They don't want you to be faithful to Jesus. And it doesn't matter what the facts are. What they say and what they intend are very different things. It's kind of like the phrase that I hear in the South. Well, bless her heart. You ever heard that phrase? You may have even used that phrase, and I'm sure you didn't mean it in the way that I'm going to use it here. But sometimes you'll hear things like this. She thought she was making a pot of coffee and only put in two scoops for an entire pot. Bless her heart. Uh, The words sound good, but but what you're saying is uh, she she missed it. Uh, or, Or you might say he went to UVA to study engineering. Bless his heart. You see, what the, what the enemy is saying may sound good at first, but it's only cover for undermining Christ and His people. There's a, an agenda under the agenda. So the enemies of the faithful will use empty talk, they'll use smooth talk, they'll use double talk, they'll mislead you, they'll even praise you in order to undermine you. Longman summarizes this section with these words, they're all liars. Kidner calls it the power of propaganda. And, through, and though these words are powerful, they are no match for the truth. These words are powerful, no doubt. They can mislead you. They can trip you up. Which is why the psalm continues and it continues to the truth. Look at verse 3. David prays. He, he, doesn't make any, he doesn't mince any words. He prays that God would cut off their lips. 
and their tongue that boasts of what man can do. You know, I used to be a grader at Southeastern Seminary, and I sat down with the professor of record, and I said, now how do you want me to grade these papers? Do you want me to grade them like master's level papers? Uh, we were at a time of growth in our seminary. A lot of people were coming in, and I don't know what happened. They must have all gone to UVA, but they still couldn't construct a basic English sentence. And so, when I've got a 15-page paper to read, how do you want me to grade this paper? Do you want me to be strict, stern? Wait, well, you know, just, uh, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be a master's level paper. So the first semester of grading papers, I think the highest grade anybody received was like a 72. And uh, it was there were some 40s and some 20s. I mean, folks just really struggling. And I became known as, as uh, the red pen man. You, you don't want to get Keithley's grader. And so, but fortunately, guess what? Two semesters later, these people knew how to write. They, they knew how to construct and compose a sentence. But God, through the gift of His Son, David is saying, come in and cut out the fluff. The, the world wants to write its own narrative, its own puffy story, and then you get to the end of the story, and it's like the college kid who waited till 2 a.m. to write a paper that was due at 9 o'clock. There's no substance there. There's no there there. The world can talk a good game, but it has no answers for the real questions that we have. Why is there something rather than nothing? Where did we come from? Why are we here? Why do I feel guilty if there is no God and no standard? The world is speaking a bunch of fluff that leaves you hungry for the truth. And that truth gets answered with the red blood of our King's cross and the sure hope of His resurrection. Secondly, Therefore, we must rely on the sure words of God's salvation through His godly man. In verse 5, for the first time in the Psalms, the Lord Himself directly answers David's cry for help. The Lord promises to set Him, that is the man of blessing, the anointed king and son, in the safety for which He longs, or perhaps the safety from those who puff lies at him. It's very interesting. There's a word in verse 5 in the Hebrew that's very infrequently used, and we're not sure whether it is a salvation that the man is desiring or it's a salvation that God is giving him because of the world blowing their lies, blowing their smoke at him. Either way, God rescues his Holy One. Look at the promise of verse 5. The Lord will set a man in safety who longs for deliverance and who is falsely accused and undermined and abandoned, and he will do it because of the devastation of the affliction and the groanings of the needy. In other words, there's a groaning of a people who want to be faithful to God that God's going to take care of and bring them a deliverance through a singular man that he sets in safety. Where does this happen? It happens... Through the godly man, the Lord Jesus Christ, when He goes to the cross and cancels death for all who believe in Him. When your family or your employer or your country or the media and sometimes even your own thoughts and doubts want to isolate you, when your flesh is lying to yourself about who Christ is and what He's done for you, when they make you feel hopeless and defenseless as a follower of Christ the King, remember this. The king has already come and proven their words will not stand, and he stands in the place of his people. Simon Turpin, commenting on this psalm, reminds us of this truth. Christianity was born into a time of adversity, 
and immorality in a world where the church is in the minority. Christians had to find a way to be faithful in an age when they were not culturally in control. Even when the emperor claimed to be Lord and the moral code was decided in opposition to Scripture. In other words, they didn't have the Supreme Court. The president called himself God, when all of that was happening, look what happened. The Holy Spirit gave the early church the ability to be faithful and to preach the Word of God without fear or compromise. He did it then and He can do so now. Christianity, this is so key, is not about status or fame or being in control of the culture, but about living day by day under the Lordship of Christ Whereas the culture may deny that they have a Lord over them, our duty as Christians is to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord over all. The Lord says He will arise, verse 5, against all who think they can kill the authority of His King. And He did when Jesus arose on the third day and conquered death once for all. Those who keep rejecting the authority of Christ in His victory over death will forever die. But for the people of God, we live by faith even as the world parades about, verse 8, in its vileness and in its arrogant attacks against God's people. Early this week, I read a story of a Christian man named Amin Afshar Nadiri serving a 15-year sentence in Iran for blasphemy against Allah and organizing and conducting house churches. He somehow managed to get an open letter to the Iranian authorities from prison, and this is what he wrote. What have I done against you and our country that made you hate me this much? I've learned from the Bible to love my enemies and to pray for those who hate me. He goes on to say that he has endured abusive speech. He's been mocked and insulted. But he prays for the health of his interrogators. He also says his fellow prisoners were forced to sign a false statement against them. Do you see how the world wants to use words? And that officials wrongly reported that he had insulted their religious beliefs. The world wants to isolate you and insult you, dear Christian, but there is another man with us in the fiery furnace. The abandoned king stood alone and conquered the world's lies through his resurrection. The one who stood alone for you now stands with you when you trust in him and his word. Though the lies swirl about, though the junk talk swirls about, though the trash talk swirls about. We have the sure Word of God. Look at verse 6. God's words are like silver refined perfectly seven times over. There's nothing other than truth that we can trust in the promises of God. This is why our statement of faith at North Roanoke Baptist Church begins with Scripture, the Word of God. Here's what our statement of faith says about the Bible. The Bible is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. In other words, the Bible doesn't just contain the truth. The Bible is 
the truth. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union. What unites us, North Roanoke Baptist Church, is the same thing that's united every true Christian church from the beginning of the Christian church. It's nothing else. It's the truth that God entered the world and He bore our sin and our suffering and our shame to Calvary. And on the third day, He rose from the grave and He's ascended at the right hand of the Father and He's coming again for us. This is the truth that unites us and it unites us in all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions are tried by His Word. This means we don't live our lives by polling the audience, but by probing the tested promises of God. I bought my wife some diamond earrings many, many years ago at a local jewelry store. I'll not give their name because the story doesn't end that well. But they said, if you buy some diamond earrings of whatever size and then you bring them back later, we'll give you 110% of the retail price toward the next size up. So I started young and I bought a one, I think it was like 197th of a carat or something like that. You know, like a little, just a little fleck. That's all I could afford. I gave them a 10 spot and they gave me some earrings and, you know, I came back and I, I traded them in and I traded up to a quarter and then I, I think I, I don't know what I went to after that. I think I got as far as a half, okay? And I would faithfully take these back to get clean from time to time and then we moved to Raleigh and Elizabeth, Stacy still had those earrings and we went to go get them cleaned at a, a jeweler in Raleigh and I had noticed that the earrings didn't look as shiny or as bright as they had used to, and I don't know, I should have paid more attention when I picked them up at the cleaning before, but we took them there, and they came back out, and they said, we're sorry to tell you, but these aren't diamonds. Last time you had them clean, somebody swiped them out. Wasn't long after the last time I had them clean, that jewelry store was out of business. And so, what we thought was genuine, and had at one time been genuine, became the fake deal. In fact, they said it it isn't even CZ. (laughs) It's not even that good. Plastic. And my heart sank a little bit. But God's Word has been tested seven times, like silver, put in the fire seven times. There's no alloy in God's Word. There's no mixture of error in God's Word. There's no reason that we should ever doubt that when we come to God's Word that we have something that we can anchor our lives on. God hasn't tricked us. He hasn't duped us. He's given us everything we need in life to know that as sure as I'm standing here that when He comes again that we will be with Him no matter what the world has to say about Christ and His people. Nothing can consume the life or the church that is anchored to the fireproof Word of God, because the Lord has promised, verse 7, that He will keep them, the faithful. The word keep means to watch over like a faithful shepherd watches over his sheep. And we are confident of His protection, because the Bible tells us we are in Christ, who has been raised to life everlasting. He's conquered the wicked who oppose Him, verse 7. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible 
tells me so. This morning, you do not have to be duped by the world's propaganda telling you that your king is outdated, he's outmoded, he's irrelevant, or he's not powerful enough because a day is coming soon when the world will know that he's not just relevant, he is everything. Whether you find yourself in a prison cell in Iran defending your decision to not bake a cake for a wedding that isn't a wedding or simply striving to anchor your life and your family and your commitments to Christ and to Christ alone. Anchor your life to not what the world is saying, but to what Christ has said. It may get lonely, but you are never alone. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, thank You for giving us the fire-tested, the proven, the true Word of God. Thank You for giving us a reliable source of truth in a world that is spinning so many stories and narratives and lies that want to undermine You, God. Thank You for giving us something that we can look to and know. Christ is our King. Christ is risen. And Christ is coming again. We thank You and praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen. This morning, I don't know your need, but some of you might still be buying into the world's lies. That you can get to heaven on your own. You can get to heaven without Christ the King. That you can be good enough or that... Jesus is irrelevant, and maybe today you've seen that in a world full of stories, there's got to be one that's true. And there is. And God has done everything possible to validate that Word so that you can know this is the story that I must believe. This is my story. This is my song. Stand and sing, Blessed Assurance.